the reading of the scriptures from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 60, verses 1 to 9. So uh, let us uh, hear the word of God uh, in faith and uh, with thanksgiving that we have this great treasure of God's word. From Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for thy light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see... All they gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy sons shall come from afar, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then shalt thou see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, and the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, Kingdoms of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. Who are these that fly as the cloud and as the doves to their windows? Surely the isles shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish first to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them unto the name of the Lord thy God and to the Holy One of Israel because he has glorified thee. I suspect most of you are not unlike me in that you are uh, always uh, being deluged with uh, advertisements to go to some distant place that's uh, grand and glorious. Uh, the scriptures are like that. They, they invite us to a, a distant city uh, that is, of course, uh, grand and glorious. And so there is one, one destination uh, that shall enthrall us, uh, we should be fascinated by it, and uh, we should uh, desire above all things uh, to, to go to it, uh, because in the grace of God, as we will soon see, it, it, it comes to us. Uh, the city of God, Zion, uh, oftentimes referred to as uh, Jerusalem. And God uh, begins to tell us of the grandeur of that city uh, in our text this morning, uh, because he addresses her uh, in a great figure of speech as if the city is a person, a personification. He's going to treat the city uh, as an individual. She has suffered great loss in the captivity, invading armies, uh, ruin, uh, destruction, devastation. Uh, but God comes and uh, calls the city uh, to new life. Uh, so our text is that God will restore uh, this broken down city in distress, 
uh, in great glory uh, by his presence. His presence is all glorious and his presence will glorify the city. Uh, the first three verses tell us about the future glory and salvation of Zion and that is what God is proclaiming to the city. And then in verses 4 to 9, the coming of the nations will enrich the city with children and praise, uh, focused entirely upon the city of God. Uh, the grandness goes uh, far beyond uh, the prophets, uh, historians, Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, meaning that Isaiah anticipates a greater fulfillment. Uh, and as is most of our passages that we have been studying, uh, there is a present reality of the restoration of the city that's already occurring uh, as people come to faith uh, and acknowledge that their citizenship is in the heavenly city. But there is this future reality that will be visible, that will be seen, that we can touch and feel, and of course will be the cause of unprecedented praise and glory. Uh, let me review momentarily something that's uh, most essential uh, to the proclamation of the restoration of Zion, and that, of course, is uh, the great servant son. Uh, the prophecies of the end time and gathering uh, relies upon this chief figure, uh, Isaiah chapter 40 to 66. Uh, we have uh, looked at a number of passages uh, that speak of uh, the glory of the Messiah, but perhaps uh, the most well-known are the great servant songs. It's, let's uh, again review uh, by looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, we know that the city has been in darkness, uh, particularly from the destruction of the armies of Babylon. Uh, Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 6. I am the Lord and I've called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by my hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the peoples, as a light to the nations. So there's something about the majesty of Christ that's going to bring light to the city. Isaiah is prophesying of the coming of light and glory. Uh, of course, the instrumental effect of that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he will bring light, light to the nations. Uh, let's turn to another servant song, Isaiah chapter 49. Uh, verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory. Uh, Isaiah is prophesying of coming of glory to the city. Christ, uh, again, is the glory of God. Again, verse 6, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So again, Isaiah is prophesying of the restoration of the city of Zion, uses the great metaphors of glory and light, but it's principally found in the beginning sense in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, fulfillment of the great servant songs. Uh, it's instructive to me that uh, here in Oklahoma, we are uh, in the great primary season. Uh, I don't know what your mailboxes look like in the past month or so, but mine is filled with flyers of men and women running for office, uh, extolling uh, their grandeur, their accomplishments. And then there's always another flyer tearing them all down. 
Well, the Scriptures are telling us that Christ is the Savior, the light of the world. He is not running for office. He is the great King. Uh, it's a reminder, the Scriptures are a reminder of who He is and that uh, the chief way to get into the city of Zion uh, that will be restored in the grandeur of the glories of the great God are through the Lord Jesus Christ, the great servant son. So that Isaiah is speaking of a transformation and renewal of the city, without a doubt. But it begins uh, in the servant son. And the servant songs constitute his commission. They're also a reminder in my own understanding that Messiah is assuming the failed role of the nation that he sums up in himself what Israel was to be and that God is reconstituting true Israel and true Zion in the great servant songs. And Messiah, that you and I know as the Lord Jesus Christ, will inaugurate the restoration promises of Isaiah to affect the universal salvation. And so again, just by way of review, central to the city, is her Savior. And all of the great prophecies of Isaiah that speak to the servant son uh, last week of the great messianic warrior who will come and defeat the enemies of the people of God and to reestablish the glory of God find their preeminence in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so that this greatest of all destination the greatest travel guide of all time, inviting you to the greatest destination of all time, must come through Christ the Messiah, the great servant son. And he will, he will change the city. Uh, he will restore the city, and he will totally renovate the city uh, because of who he is and what he has done. Well, our text begins with a with imperatives. Again, the figure of speech is a personification. Uh, God is speaking to the city. Uh, that in and of itself is a great reminder to each of us. He's speaking to no other city but this city, the city of Zion, the city of God. Arise and shine. Telling the city that uh, the devastation of a Gentile armies will be totally changed. She will be restored. Uh, she will take preeminence of all the cities of the earth. And she will become the repository of the glory of God. Again, the imperatives speak to dramatic change. I think about it in this way. Uh, cities sometimes uh, fall into marked decline. For whatever reason. Uh, I hasn't, as of late, received an invitation, for example, to go visit Detroit. I hope none of you are from Detroit. Used to be a very prominent city. It was the Motor City, the great automobile empire, uh, Motown, great music, but it's in decline. Great neighborhoods, devastated uh, when those industries suffered, people left. Uh, what's going to happen is we're looking at the greatest of all counterparts, a city that's going to be totally destroyed. 
an uplifting city. God, if you will, is inviting you uh, to this city. The scriptures are a travel brochure for you to look at the city that he will restore, he will fix. And that a city that, besides being the repository of his own glory, that people will flee to uh, in marked contrast than the cities of uh, man that people will leave because they will be destroyed. Why is the city to arise and shine? Again, Isaiah tells us uh, because uh, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. While, of course, this is a future event, as I've suggested, there's also a present reality. In Christ, there is the dawn of salvation in the language of a new creation. It's a dramatic change because uh, the prophet says that darkness will cover the earth. That in and of itself is an illusion but to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, darkness covered the face of the deep. Darkness has covered Zion. But she's to get up, rise, because the glory of the Lord is going to come to her. Uh, the chaos and disorder of the physical creation uh, before God is changed by the coming of light. And so the light of the world, the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus Christ will come to the city and effect incredible restoration. Uh, the intensity, of course, of, uh, of our darkness is spiritual darkness, the ignorance of Christ, uh, ignorance of God, and, of course, the prevalence of sin. So what I'm suggesting is that uh, in the coming of Christ, there is light uh, and, as well, the glory of the Lord. Uh, again, if you, if you look at the latter part of verse 2, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Uh, it's a reference, I believe, as I've been suggesting, uh, that finds an initial fulfillment in the coming of Christ. Uh, let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1, in verses 78 and 79. A dramatic event occurs of the coming of the Savior. Uh, Luke tells us about it. Luke chapter 1, verse 78, because the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us. It's now come in Christ, the great sunrise, the great glory of God, breaking upon uh, the land of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. Uh, notice verse 79, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Uh, we could put that in the great travel brochures of an invitation to come to Christ to come to truth, to come to peace, to come to light, uh, to come to the city that he will rule and reign over, uh, that will express uh, the grandeur and the glory of his presence. There's another reason that we can suggest that uh, the prophecies of Isaiah have a beginning fulfillment, because the Apostle Paul alludes to Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. Uh, one of the great hallmarks of the Protestant Reformation is that Scripture interprets Scripture, and so Paul is going to give us a measure of how to understand uh, Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2 uh, in the life of the church, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14, because he's alluding to the prophet. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, 
and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That there's a measure of immediate fulfillment. Of Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2, in the coming of Christ, and the light that he brings, that he shines upon us. The context of both passages is creation and resurrection. In Isaiah, there's the promise of end-time salvation. In Paul, he assumes that that salvation has already started because we are to walk as children of the light or consistent with our resurrection and new creation that is found in the Savior. That fulfillment again has begun in Jesus and all who are identified with him are to shine so as to reflect the glory of their creator and to draw others into the new creation. Uh, the city of Zion is going to draw others to her presence. You and I are the beginning fulfillment of that and our lives and our conduct are to be an eternal advertisement of the glory of God inviting others to come into his city through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the end-time renewal of this great city has begun in us uh, through the work uh, of the Savior. Uh, there are many ways to advertise, uh, if you will, the majesty of Christ, the scriptures being chief among them all, the presentations of the gospel being, of course, of profound significance in inviting people to come to the Savior in the glory of God. But don't, don't neglect your conduct, the conduct of a changed life, a conduct that reflects the new creation, a conduct uh, that is a mirror of the glory of the light that Christ brings into our life, uh, that people in, in a measure ought to see in our conduct radical change because that is what Christ affects. And the Apostle Paul is reminding the church of that when he says, arise, and the glory and the light of Christ will shine upon you. Uh, it's an invitation for the world to come uh, because our conduct is reflecting uh, what God does in the life of a man or a woman or boy or girl. Uh, chiefly that he brings the light of salvation in his own personal uh, manifest, manifestations of glory. Uh, the parallel to light in Isaiah, uh, chapter 60, verse 2, is, of course, uh, glory. And his glory will appear upon you. Uh, again, the glory of God returning to the city. Uh, reminds us uh, of the glory of God. Uh, coming upon uh, the completion of the tabernacle in Solomon's temple. Let's turn in our Old Testaments to Exodus chapter 40, uh, verse 34. Uh, Moses has been receiving instructions about all manner of uh, building the tabernacle uh, the priesthood, and when it's all completed, something dramatic happens. Isaiah chapter 40 in the 34th verse. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
uh, must have been something incredible to behold. It was awe-inspiring on behalf of the children of Israel. Uh, Isaiah is telling us that glory is going to return to the city. Uh, another reference in the completion of uh, Solomon's uh, great temple, Second uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 5, in the 14th verse. So that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. It's a reminder that uh, one day you and I will behold the same thing in the great city of God, the city of Zion. Uh, for me, it's the greatest of all advertisements to belong to that city. The greatest of all. Because the glory of the Lord will reside there. And that we should have a manifold attraction to the glory of the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ who will reinstitute uh, the fullness of his glory in the city of God. Again, I would suggest to you uh, that these great prophetic and historical texts speak to the coming of Christ. Uh, for example, John chapter 1, verse 14, the Lord came and uh, John uses a very instructive word in the 14th verse of, of uh, chapter 1 of his gospel. And the Lord tabernacled among us. Tabernacle, where the glory of the Lord was localized. And now the glory of heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ has come as a tabernacle in our midst. And what else does John say? And we beheld his glory. That these great historic and prophetic references have a beginning fulfillment in Jesus Christ, reminding us of how instrumental it is to know the Savior because He is the end time tabernacle and He is the end time glory of the presence of God. The cities of man are all fading, they're always under construction. The city and I live, there's a main artery in the city that's been down for, I don't know, two weeks. Uh, things break in cities. People leave. Sometimes neighborhoods fall into ruin. Not so the city of God. And we understand in the coming of Christ that he comes to tabernacle among us and that we behold his glory. The apostles are reminding us of who Christ is. It's the beginning of the end time fulfillment of the great promises of God to reinstitute his glorious presence in his midst, in the midst of his people. Uh, in Isaiah, his glory appears uh, upon the end time Jerusalem. In John, it breaks upon Messiah, who begins to share his glory uh, to his apostles. Well, there's a response to this glory, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3. And the nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. In other words, uh, when God's end-time presence uh, breaks upon his city, the great captains of industry, uh, great legislators, if you will, uh, perhaps uh, captured in the word for kings, will begin to move to the city because the glory of God is there. I, I suspect you have uh, favorite places that you've uh, visited, uh, 
in your times of leisure. Perhaps you go to a city because you have relatives there. Uh, perhaps you go to see a great prominent museum. Uh, perhaps there's a great body of water or great historic references. Uh, I was attracted a number of years ago to go to Baltimore, uh, to go to the harbor, to see the great ship, the Constitution. My friend, all of that is chump change. The glory of the Lord God Almighty will come into her city, and men will begin to move to that city because of the presence of the glory of God. And this, this, this ingathering includes the full realization of the divine presence and the heavenly Zion coming to earth in grand fulfillment. And Isaiah speaks to that in verses 4 to 9. Again, the two sections are remarkably parallel. Notice how the text begins, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, Arise, shine. And now look at verse 4. Lift up your eyes round about and see. Uh, here the ingathering is captured uh, in marked form. Sons and daughters of the city will come. Again, Zion is personified. She will see it, she will shine, and she will be increasingly glad. Number of cities in our great country that uh, go through uh, remarkable renewal. People that once left will come back. In a spiritual sense, that is occurring. People are moving to Zion, the city of God, because the glory of God is to be found there. Uh, they will bring the tribute of uh, praise and worship. Uh, there's a number of references here to uh, great commerce returning to the city of camels and flocks. I simply understand that in the words of the prophet uh, Isaiah, uh, latter part of verse 6, they will bring gold and frankincense, and they will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. That the riches of physical uh, possessions, as in precious metals and stones, are really uh, metaphors that speak to the praise and the worship of God. Uh, by the way, uh, that too uh, has already started. Uh, if you think of a travel guide uh, and you learn from that travel guide that great riches are returning to a city and maybe it's time to go back and visit, uh, let's look at a measure in which that is fulfilled, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we have just read about gold and silver and frankincense coming into the great city of Zion. Well, what happens at the birth of, uh, of Jesus? Uh, Matthew chapter 2, uh, in the 11th verse, uh, the wise men come. And what do they bring? Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Gentiles coming. I believe in partial fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 60. They come and they worship him, opening their treasures. They presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold and frankincense are found in Isaiah chapter 60. Gentiles returning to the city. Here there's a beginning fulfillment in Gentile kings and wise men coming to Christ to behold his glory. The glory of the light of the great star beckoning them to come. And they come and they worship in the words of the prophet Isaiah they will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. 
So again, it's important to understand that all of these great prophecies uh, have all been fulfilled in an inauguration sense, uh, reminding us of uh, the importance of Christ, who he is and what he has done. Uh, uh, the reference to caravans and ships and flocks, again, uh, metaphors speaking to great commerce, uh, bringing the praises of the nations to the glories of the presence of God in the city of Zion. That the prophet is using the language of his day to describe a future day of heavenly Zion coming on station to the earth and the elect coming to the city in subservience and bringing, if you will, their subservience in the praise and worship of God. And again, in personification, uh, the city is glad. Uh, she was once sad when the armies of Babylon breached her walls, destroyed her. She was once sad when uh, the legions of Rome uh, destroyed her, uh, but uh, the prophet is telling us that the city will be restored. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ will bring the glory of the Lord into the city, and we move to glory uh, because we are the sons of glory by the new birth. And God proclaims, uh, latter part of verse 7, they will go up with acceptance on my altar, and I shall glorify my glorious house. Uh, the city is now in perfect form. The days of intrigue and siege are gone forever. And the text, latter part of verse 9, closes with the, the divine imprimatur, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel because he has glorified you. The city is now in its ultimate glorified estate. Again, reminds me of a travel brochure. If you're not attracted to cities, uh, maybe you're attracted to the beach. I mean, I don't know. I'm always somewhat amazed at uh, commercials on television of uh, great beach scenes and all the going-ons on beach scenes and the reverie of men and women. My friend, I've uh, been to a lot of beautiful beaches. Chump change. To the glory of the Lord present in the city of our God, the city of Zion. Maybe you're attracted to mountain scenes, you know, the beauties of the Rockies, uh, the grandeur of great mountains. It's just chump change compared to the city of God. You know why? Because the glory of God will inhabit the city, fill the city, and we will be enraptured as the sons of glory beholding it all of the days of eternity. Again, beckoning us to flee to that city through the Lord Jesus Christ. John alludes to the future restoration of the city from the language of Isaiah chapter 60 and Revelation chapter 21. It's a text we've uh, looked at previously, uh, but again, John picks up the words of Isaiah uh, chapter 60. Uh, again, if you have your New Testaments, and I trust you do, Revelation chapter 21. Uh, let's behold uh, the future measure of the fulfillment of the words of Scripture. Uh, the context 
Revelation 21, 2, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, I was looking at a uh, travel advertisement just the other day. Uh, go to Virginia. Uh, go to this great plantation. Wonderful place for, uh, for wedding ceremonies. Uh, here's the greatest of them all. The city coming down as a bride ready for her husband. A remarkable presence. Heaven coming to earth in the city of God, the new Jerusalem. But let's look at the illusion, Isaiah chapter 60 in Revelation 21, verses 24 to 26. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. Uh, again, defined by Isaiah, uh, verse 6 of Isaiah 60, of, of the praise of the nations. Uh, God doesn't need the glory of kings. He doesn't need their gold and silver. He owns it all anyway. What we bring in wealth is that we praise and worship the one true God. Verse 25, in the daytime, for there shall be no night there. Its gates shall never be closed. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, the praise and the worship of God, that we will behold the presence of God in his glorious city. We will move and bring our praises to the honor and the greatness of God. Again, Isaiah defines that in verse 6 uh, of his 60th chapter. I will tell you that's the only real glory there is. Everything else fades. Everything else is tarnished. Everything else will break. Uh, the city I live in is always under construction. They're always fixing streets. Uh, they're always renovating city hall. Have you ever been to an airport that doesn't have a construction project on it? I never have. Maybe you have. I simply haven't. This city that comes down out of heaven will never need to be repaired. Once we move into it, we will never leave. The glory of the Lord will hold us forever. We will never leave it because the glory of God is there. The streets will never need to be repaired because of the glory of God that's immutable and unchangeable and eternal. The text here includes the full and final realization of the divine presence. Uh, the text reads, And the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. John tells us that the great luminaries of sun and moon are not needed, for the glory of God will be our perpetual light. Uh, John is so enthralled with that, he he closes the book of the Revelation uh, uh, with the greatest promise, I think, of the scriptures and uh, how he responds to that, Revelation 20 to 20. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. John says, come. Come, Lord Jesus. That the city is so great, the presence of the glory of God so manifest, so beautiful. He says, Lord, Come. Come. It ought to be the beckoning cry of all of us. Uh, we are the beginning fulfillment as the people of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are yet to behold the reality and visible presence of the glory of God. We know it in a measure in his Son, but we want the full realization of it. And so John says, come, Lord Jesus. Uh, I'm reminded that our pilgrimage is through many dangers, toils, and snares, 
uh, but John is telling us that the best is yet to come in the visible presence of the glory of God and that we will move to that city uh, because of what it means to us. The city of man, always under construction, always being rebuilt, schools being torn down and rebuilt. There's always some project going on because they're always failing. Not so with the city of God. Let's look at another great city, Revelation chapter 18. She too is full of gold and silver and frankincense and kings in their glory. Revelation chapter 18, this is 12 and 13. It's a reminder that the city of Zion has a competitor and men are also moving to it because of the physical wealth that is there. And cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil, fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes, horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. Again, the great wealth of the nation, the literal wealth of the nation in the end time Babylon. You and I are told in the words of the Apostle John, to give her a wide berth, not to move to her, to forsake her gods, uh, not to permit her wealth to tantalize us, not to be enraptured with her forms of entertainment and pleasure and leisure, but to move away from it to the city of our God. Uh, her glory, of course, will ultimately fade. Uh, look at verse 21, Revelation 18, and a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, Thus will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. Uh, the great competitor of Zion, the city of God, will be destroyed. And her glory will no longer exist. God will put an end to it. Uh, that we must uh, never forget to whom we belong that the cities of man are always trying to attract us, always trying to get in to get us to move there, to live there, to give our hearts and souls there. John tells us otherwise. Here he tells us why. Babylon, the great city, will be destroyed, that there's another city that ought to hold our attractions. The Apostle Paul, I think, speaks to a measure of this when he writes in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, for our citizenship is in the heavenlies from which we eagerly await the coming of our Savior. Now, you and I are citizens of a, of a, of a distant city yet to come. Uh, its glory has already been manifested to us in the coming of light into our darkened hearts. We have through the scriptures, through the words of the apostles, beheld the glory of the Lord who is tabernacled in our midst. That should be our attraction. We should be continually moving to the one great city that will outlast all of the rest of them. That the great venues of the cities of this world, the great art museums, the great museums of natural history, the great historic artifacts, the palaces of kings and queens, chump change to the glory of God. They will fade. They will be destroyed. 
they will be thrown into the sea. It's an invitation uh, to flee to Christ, to flee to the city that has come yet that is also coming visibly and literally. Because the glory of our city has begun in Jesus and it will outlast all the cities of this world. It's the premier destination of unparalleled beauty in the presence of God in the midst of his people. Let's look at some other invitations to this great city, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. Speaking of uh, the great men of God, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Uh, in the world in which you and I live, uh, different philosophies of architecture. Architects come in and out of prominence. Some of them are great, sometimes they will fade. Uh, I look at the architecture of Frank Lloyd Wright and I scratch my head. I would never live in one of his homes, but maybe you would. Who cares? You know what's happened to Frank Lloyd Wright? He's gone, never to return. His homes will be destroyed and torn down. He rose upon the American scene like a star, and then he fell like a meteor. But here is a city whose builder and maker and architect is God. I know that some of you in your future may buy a piece of land and someday buy a home, wish to build it, and you hire an architect. You will try to recreate a measure of your desires in your own glorious presence. Think of a home built by God, the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ, where all of the intensity of eternal beauty will be manifested. That's the city that you and I are moving to through the Lord Jesus Christ, that our builder is God himself. Our architect is God himself. And he will manifest eternal wisdom and knowledge and power and glory in the coming of this great city. If you're a Christian, you're a citizen of that city. Keep moving towards it. If you're not a Christian, the only way that you can come uh, to understand the glory of the Lord of that city is through Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself, the one for the many, to give to us his righteousness, who, who sends his spirit to transform us, that our conduct might live up to the words of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14, that we're to arise and shine, to invite men through our conduct uh, to the majesty of the presence of God. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 16, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not to be ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That God has a city for us. Markable movement in the United States of America, people leaving the countryside for the most part, moving to large, massive cities, Los Angeles, Pittsburgh, New York City. My friend, become a Christian. God has a city for you. He's already prepared it the greatest, most beautiful city of all the world, because his glory will be there. 
He's prepared a city for us. Great reminder. Uh, I on occasion love to go visit historic cities, but it is this city that should tantalize our senses. It should capture our affections. It should gain and garner our eternal allegiance because there is no greater, no finer, the greatest of all cities coming for us. God has already prepared it. Designed by infinite beauty and perfection, it will never need maintenance or remodeling. It's a city, again, future and yet already present. Let's look at that. Galatians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul does something that's very similar to the prophet Isaiah. He engages in personification uh, of the great city. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, in verse 16. Pardon me, verse 26. But the Jerusalem above, she is our mother. Sometimes people immigrate to cities because they think there are great benefits that are there. Perhaps there are. Certainly politicians are forever promising benefits. But our city is our mother. She births us through Jesus Christ. And she nurtures us for all time. The Jerusalem above. Great, great invitation. I suspect in all of the travel brochures that have ever, ever been written. None of them have ever been said of, this city will be your mother. No, there's only one true mother. The city of Jerusalem, the city of God, that will come day, some days, soon, out of heaven to invade the earth. And the glory of God will be there. And we are the sons of glory and will move to her, move to it. Think of Jerusalem, our mother, who births us nurtures us and keeps us life without end. Let's look at another promise from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. The greatest city of all time. Eternal Zion. Hebrews chapter 13, 14th verse. For here, we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. It's coming. We will move to it as the sons of glory. Again, in my estimation, the greatest destination of all time. All of the travel brochures that speak of beautiful sand white beaches and the clarity of water or great grand mountains or the great museums of the great cities of history like London, Paris, Budapest. My friend, chump change. They will all fade. They will all be thrown into the sea. There is one city that will last. The city of our God. The city of Zion. She is our mother through the new birth. Do you know the Savior? Are you moving to her? For the prophets and the scriptures tell us she is moving to us in the great cataclysmic meeting of all time. We are the sons of glory. Glory will come for us. We will enter her and bring the praises 
of the eternal joy and manifestation of the majesty of the glory of God. I remind you, our travel guide begins with the gospel, but everywhere throughout the scripture, reminder of the great city of God, the city of Zion. God has prepared her for us. She is moving to receive us. I trust you know the Savior, the Lord Jesus. I trust if you are tempted by the allurements of the cities and the cries of this world, that you will give them a wide berth because there is only one city that should hold our allegiance forever. One great city that will outlast them all. God's blessings are on her as no other. And she will come in glory and transform her citizens into eternal glory. Glory will meet us. Glory will capture us, own us, and change us world without end. It's a city that I want to belong to. I do because of Jesus Christ. If you do not know him, this is the destination. Through Jesus Christ, and you too will be a son of glory. Let's never forget the majesty of what Isaiah is proclaiming to us. And let's continue to move to the city that is moving for us to capture us in everlasting glory.